Hey, everybody. It's Then Again with Ken and Glenn. Oh, no. Glenn, what's the matter? I'm sad and upset. Huh. Why are you sad and upset? I was reading some history. Ooh, you should never do that. Well, history's fun. It is. And I especially like the medieval period, oh, as you know. so do I. We, we frequently dress up in armor and hit each other with pointed sticks called lances because we love it so we much. We love it so much. We love the Middle Ages so much. I scars. I love it so yes, much. Yes, exactly. And yet, when I was reading the history, uh-huh. someone who wrote the history mm-hmm. called my favorite period the Dark Ages. Bum, bum, bum. And that sucks. Why would they do that? Because they're idiots. Oh, my God. Well, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> that's it. That's today's episode. You're, you're idiots. No, wait. No. No. Uh, we, should, we should probably tell them why they're idiots before we close the show. Yes. Because people like nothing better than the, to be told why they're wrong. I know. I often lay awake at night hoping that <laughs> someone, someone will text me and say, hey, you're an idiot. idiot. Here's that's why. why I go on Facebook. So... <laughs> No, you go on Facebook because you're the idiot. That's right. <laughs> That's, that. That's true. So here's the thing. We've had a lot of fun in this opening, but it's a serious issue that affects our teen population today, and that is the Dark Ages. Seriously, for for well, people like Glenn and I, or really anyone who's a serious scholar, that term isn't really meaningful. It, it has no meaning. So one of the things we like to do, as you know in this podcast, is, is look behind and say, well, okay, why is it called the Dark Ages? What does that mean? What, why was it called the Dark Ages? Who started it? We're going to find out who started it so I can go back in time and punch <laughs> him in the face. You'd be punching Petrarch, the beloved Italian sonneteer. Yeah, no. because in the, fifth, uh, the 1450s, he doesn't actually use the term Dark Ages, but he does refer to the current climate in Italy, which, you know, that is the birthplace of the modern and, Renaissance. And they're a, he's pretty much at the Renaissance. He is. Point. I mean, he's a driver of it. But he's referring to it's like there's been a period of darkness and that now there's a period of light that's happening. But he doesn't actually say Dark Ages. That comes along later by, uh, uh, it, well, as a matter of fact, in, in 1602, uh, Baronius, a, a German scholar, and he's applying it to very specifically a period of about 80 years <laughs> from the 10th to 11th century where there's a gap in church records. And he calls that a Dark Ages. And then other people latch on to that, and now it's the Dark Ages. And uh, one of one of your favorite boys from the 18th century, the the history of the rise and decline of the Roman Empire. Uh, Gibbon, yes. Gibbon. He, oh. <laughs> I, I, I said it earlier, this episode may just be nothing but us pounding our fist on the table and yelling into the microphone. Exactly. The, the problem with the Dark Ages is that it tends to say, here is an entire period of time when people lived, died, loved, fought laughed, cried, and it's nothing but ignorance and stupidity and peasants digging in muck. Exactly. And, 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 and Gibbon, of course, is writing to absolutely glorify the Roman Empire and, and his entire... And the Age of Enlightenment that he's a part of. Uh, yeah. and, and the Age of Enlightenment is wonderful, but, but Gibbon has an agenda. And even Gibbon kind of disses the Roman Empire until it becomes Christianized. That's that's his right. modus operandi, is, is that... Rome is awesome, but once it gets Christianity, it's super awesome. Right. It's so super awesome that everything that comes after it must be bad. Right. right. And I think of the phrase is the rubbish of the Dark Ages. And the thing is, you also run into a problem with defining what the Dark Ages are supposed to be. Are they from, let's say, the theoretical sack of Rome in the 5th century through the fall of Byzantium? To the Renaissance? To the Renaissance? I mean, look, we when we use the proper terminology of medieval period, we have a hard enough time defining it. Right, right. Um, but but with Dark Ages, it has this and this connotation. I think the popular conscience, when they think of Dark Ages, they do think of Vikings, 
Don't even get us started on that word. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll have, have another episode. We'll have a podcast. We'll have a podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, and and again, peasants digging in muck. Every everything's well, dumb. Monty, Monty Python and the Holy Grail peasant scene. Exactly. That, that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's that's it. That's the, that's the Dark Ages. That's the Dark Ages. For a long time, actually, academic works referred yeah. to it as the Dark Ages yeah. in the in the Victorian era. And even I have seen a book up to the <sighs> 1930s that referred to the 9th and 10th centuries as the Dark Age. And the connotations of that, of course, mm-hmm. are that, like I said, there's there's ignorance, there's nothing to benefit. And I would even say that, I'm, I'm going super progressive now, <laughs> I sort of even hate the term Middle Ages because yeah. it implies that once again, it there's a thing, there's the greatness of Rome, there's the greatness of the Renaissance, and Here's this between, thing stuck in the middle. Yeah. We'll just refer to it as the Middle right. Ages. We should just call it the Ages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know what we would call it. The Ancien Regime. The Ancien Regime, yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, what you said a second ago when you were being tongue-in-cheek with, you know, this, this period where people lived and loved and died and led their lives and did all the things and that was theoretically dark, you know, let, let's say that, yes, there is definitely a seismic event in the fall of Rome. Now, the thing is, what is the fall of Rome? Well, Rome doesn't just one day fall. Uh, it it falls yeah. several times. Centurion outside should have told you. It's, exactly, exactly. Rome's yeah, closed. Just closed, right. <laughs> you, you go back to Carthage, Rome's closed. But, but it undergoes a long period of decline. It's The city of Rome itself is sacked a couple of times before before one could definitively say in the, in the 400s, in the 5th century, that, that actually, yeah, when the civic government ceases to function, it's done. And the networks that and the go out networks, to networks, exactly that expanded colonies, civic network. whatever you want to call it. And, and you know, when when the troops are withdrawn from Roman Britain, when the troops are withdrawn from the frontiers, and now there's literally no one to protect, and now the cities do fall. Yeah, that that is absolutely that is a seismic event that you could look at as the beginning of a dark ages. Except that, as you pointed out, people continue to live their lives. Is there a unified nation state? No. No. Not, not, not in the West. Nor economy, exactly. nor political body, right. nothing. The closest that there comes is still the church. Right. The church is the only unified, and it has no, well, generally speaking, <laughs> right. especially the further out you get from, from Rome, it doesn't have that much political power in the, in the early days, the period like right. six, seven, eight hundreds. Right. It's a unifying force in terms of language, in terms of um, vision. But there is no, and th- this is when the, all these petty kingdoms and the, right. and the overlords and things start fighting each other, and and it is, but there is still there are still things going on. There's there, still things going. They're still learning. You know they're what? Still, the Sutton Who mask and helmet are made in the sixth century. This monumental, beautiful, golden work of art that stuns through the ages. Oh, oh, but that was Dark Ages. Yeah. Okay. Alfred's brooch. You know, this stunning Anglo-Saxon work of high jewelry art and literary, you know, accomplishment because it's inscribed. Oh, but that's Dark Ages. Yeah. The you, Bayou you, Tapestry. You still have people, can, you know, you uh, know. Uh, translating Boethius's Constellation of Philosophy yeah, yeah. widely. Yeah, yeah. And, and people, you know, learning's not gone. There's just no centralized authority to make things work. Granted, as efficiently as Rome. Absolutely, had. but that but that doesn't mean it doesn't stop. And you know, we've we've talked a little bit about you know the origin of that phrase. Once again, you have to look at like we always do the point of view of the people on the ground, the point of view of the people that are living in the 
specific time. And so let's look at Petrarch. I mean, from his point of view, I mean, he has seen, he is keenly aware of the glory that was Rome. Well, actually, the grandeur that was Rome was the glory that was Greece, the grandeur that was Rome. Uh, He's keenly aware of the grandeur of Rome. He's keenly aware of the Roman heritage. I mean, Good People Lord. could not be. They could, yeah, exactly. Especially if you lived on the Italian peninsula, you knew what had been. And so, for him, it actually, I think, had a, a, a specific and personal meaning to say, "Remember how amazing Rome was. It is a sad and lamentable thing that that went away. We're bringing it back. We're rediscovering it." You know, it, so for him, it's not so much a castigation, like Gibbon said of. The, the rubbish of the Dark Ages, that's not what he means. He means that this different thing from the glory and the grandeur we're going to bring back. He's not necessarily castigating, but it, but it means I, I am heir to a noble and mighty cultural heritage. I'd like to bring it back. Let's do it. And they always did want to bring it back. Right. And now, and now this is, again, when you're looking at the five 600s, uh, maybe even up in the 700s, you still have— a period when things were very politically disjointed, uh, you know, famine was widespread. Mm-hmm. Thing, and 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 also, I often think about when people lived that way. They knew that Rome was great. Yeah. Can you imagine being in a landscape in a world where there are these huge, gigantic stone ruins, and you live in a world that can never possibly, or at least in that time period, cannot possibly reproduce them. Yet you know... You know they were your here. Your ancestors helped build them. Yeah, you know they were here, yeah. and yet you can't replicate it. That is very humbling individually and in terms of culture, but they're always striving to get to that point. The church keeps uh, Latin learning alive, uh, you know, and in some places the architectural knowledge to build those things goes away, but it does come back. And so there is always this effort to try to go from what the perception of what Rome was to right. what Rome could be, should be again. Right. Even in, you know, Charles the oh, Charlemagne? Charlemagne, yes, thank you. Yeah, um, Charles the Great. Charles, Charles the Great, yeah. yeah. That's what, that's the name. <laughs> no, say it in French. That's, that's what Charlemagne. Charlemagne. <laughs> um, you know, he was crowned Roman emperor. Yeah. And, and, well, and you know what is, what's significant about that, especially in context of a Dark Ages versus a continuation, Charlemagne himself goes to the Pope and asks him to officiate in the crowning, which once again is is a tacit acknowledgement of you're the continuation. You, the church, right. are the continuation that I want to associate myself with so that I can get legitimacy. And, of course, the Pope is like, oh, heck yeah, I'm going to jump at the chance to say who can be king. Yep. Thus, who thus can giving me em- who, who can, can be emperor. emperor. Yes. Thus, giving me more power as well. That's hardly a dark ages move. <laughs> That's a very you know very smart enlightened move. But you know, even with something like that, which is Charlemagne looking to what is the continuation that does give the stability that Rome used to. Look at each individual burgeoning nation. You know, they're not nation states yet. They're they're still countries as it were. What do you see happening uh, in this dark ages without a central authority that sort of is dictating everything, where Latin is still the language of politicians and scholars? Well, you see the Song of Roland being composed in native French, and it's the French national epic. You see Beowulf being composed in the old English of the Anglo-Saxons. You see these works of art and literature 
you know, being in the vernacular, being in the, 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 the language of the people of that place. So th- that's, that certainly isn't dark. That certainly is a continuation of an artistic tradition that now means perhaps even more because it's your personal tradition. It's not the literature coming out of Rome that they say, isn't this a lovely play by Plautus? And maybe it is a lovely play by Plautus. Maybe it is playing at the local amphitheater. But maybe we want to write our epic about our people. And, and, you, and you see that happening. And, and the thing is, even those, those things are still infused with Roman cultural heritage. So in what sense is that dark? But they, it, and they had candles. <laughs> and fire. And fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, to, I mean, to carry forward your your uh, literary merif- metaphor there, yeah. even in Anglo-Saxon, look at Cadman. Yeah. Cadman, his talent was to take Latin yes. poetry, and he could, through divine will or what have you, he could turn it into Anglo-Saxon poetry. Mm-hmm. If that's not a metaphor for mm-hmm. continuation and of evolution, I don't know what is. Absolutely. And and I, I love that story. Yeah, you know, that, that he's the sing to me of the creation. Yeah, and he and he and he takes it. He knows the story. Which, Latin. by the way, let's just throw a quick Tolkien reference there. Sing to me of the creation. How does his work start? But anyway, well, that, <laughs> once again, that will be another podcast. Or have we already done Tolkien? Well, no, God, we haven't. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, dear listener, we will. <laughs> but you were saying, but so, no, okay. that's it. So I mean, that that's a great metaphor for how these cultures that are supposedly dark are not only still acknowledging and aware of the ancient Roman, but continuing it forward. And again, Anglo-Saxon, when you look at, can they build in stone? Can they build the great cathedrals? No, they can't. But when you look at some of the individual artwork, some of the jewelry, like what? you said, the, the helmet bro- and things, right? They were, they were operating at an artistic level on some of those things that the, the Romans equal. couldn't do. Y- yeah, yes. Even the Romans couldn't in, do. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, there's even, and some people have even gone so far as to say, well, the dark ages were literally dark because they didn't have very many candles and, you know, everything was dull and mute. It's like the the archaeology has looked at the textiles and, and, and the buildings yeah. that did exist, incredibly bright colors. And guess what? Yeah. It wasn't always cloudy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The sun did shine and they did have summer and, you know, things like that. And they wore bright yellows and reds and greens. Oh, and, exactly. Well, you know, once again, but... Uh, once again, dear listeners, you'll know that when, whenever Glenn and I talk, at some point, it's likely the Bayou Tapestry will be mentioned. But, uh, but once again, a medieval work, a Dark Ages work, right? And I believe nine different colors are used. They're all color, you know, and they run the range from blacks to to vivid yellows, greens, reds, oranges, browns. There's and, even blues. There's blues, and and they're. You know, when they've done the restoration, uh, I think the last major one was in the 90s, and they were they were just amazed at how these once once they removed the surface dirt and the surface grime and all that, and then they then they put the lights back on. They were like, you know, I've read some of the you know people who talked about it, and they were like, you know, I was there, and it was like, wow, we we knew we were cleaning this. We were really blown away by just how vivid and colorful this is, and you know, we know from so we know from things like. The visual evidence of the tapestry, which no, it's not a photograph, but still, it's a it, everything about it checks out with other literary sources that describe things people wore and colors they wore. And yeah, they were colorful, right? They did have a bright, 
life. You, you know, the, 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 maybe there weren't mosaics on the floor in a Roman villa style in Britain the way they were during the Roman occupation, but they still painted in bright colors. They still had bright cloth. They still, you know, it, right. it, it, yes, once it, again, it's, it's in what sense is it dark? Well, and, you know, and Gibbon especially, and, yeah. and as a spokesman for the Enlightenment, I think one of the main reasons they considered it dark is because the Enlightenment was all about the rejection of received knowledge, especially that of Christianity and especially that of Catholicism. Right, right. So that Enlightenment approach right. that Catholic Church bad and has been keeping the people down, and right. I love Mr. J, but he was all over this. Yeah. The, the, the church and religion had kept people oppressed for so long that now they can come out of the, quote, dark ages and right. be intellectually and spiritually enlightened. Well— that's a pretty harsh judgment of the church in the medieval period because right. the church did a lot of bad things. Church did a lot of good things. Right. And the people who lived in those times believed in it. Right. And, right. And, and they believed in it as a force in their life. And if you want to reject that or if you don't quite understand it, that's fine. But it's, it's pretty intellectually dishonest to simply cast the aspersion of dark right. on the belief of someone a thousand years right. ago. And, if, and, if you, and, let's, and let's just look at it on a purely... Let's look at it just from a mechanistic point of view. Oh, Middle Ages were dark ages, no advancements. Public clocks in clock towers didn't exist until the Middle Ages, yet somehow they figured out how to build clocks that have kept time for centuries. They're made of wood. And they're made of wood, carved. So they weren't idiots. No, they were you know, not. They, they also knew how to look at a problem and figure out a way to solve it. Uh, their their crop grains became much more productive yep. because they invented a new way for draft animals to pull a plow more effectively that the Romans couldn't figure exactly, out. Exactly, yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's not quite as dark. Now, I'm a big Enlightenment guy for a lot of reasons, and, and, and mainly it's because of their theories of government Absolutely. And society. Yeah, I'm with you and there. that's where they really leave the so-called Middle Ages behind. But as we've seen, you know, the Dark Age term came about before the Enlightenment. But when people like Gibbons are using it and Voltaire are using it, well, it's, it's going to have sticking power because they're giants. So why does it stay so long, like, say, from the 1780s up say, to the 1930s, you know? What, what role to our good friends, the Victorians, and, oh, they've got a podcast coming. I'm shaking my fist. Oh, the Victorians. Uh, they can't help it. That's when they were alive. Uh, <laughs> they didn't know they were living in the Victorian times. Well, yes, they did. They had a queen. Anyway, that's right. All of the world had a queen. Yes, they did. <laughs> so anyway, and, and all that was my somewhat humorous uh, tongue-in-cheek way of saying the Victorians sort of ran with this Dark Ages concept. Yeah, they loved the period, yet they perjured the period. And, and you know, you, you ask why it was used that long. Yeah. The only thing I could really figure out is commonplace usage. It's like... it's It, like, it, it just grabbed the consciousness so much. It's like so today, much. Uh, when, when someone's trying to contact you on your cell phone, they'll say, oh, Ken, your phone's ringing. And well, it's not. Right. There's right. no bell involved whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. It's not going ding, 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 ding. Right. Uh, I believe Churchill's voice speaks. <laughs> that is not well, a when ring. Mine rings. Yes, yes. It's Churchill's yes. voice. And uh, but but we still say the phone's ringing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why Dark Ages got used as long as it did. It because just became it, the default it, that it was the default vocabulary. Hmm. Until people really again, and you know, people sometimes in in the world of history, people begin to reassess. 
not just the past, but the perspectives of the past. Why do we use the words we use? Are there better words? Are there better ways of seeing things? And I think when the right. term Dark Ages came under that microscope, people began to realize, yeah, no, that's right. not the and case I, at you all. Know, I think, and I think a really good series of books that probably helped move away from Dark Ages to Middle Ages, at least, or Medieval, yeah, Middle Ages, Francis and Joseph Gee. I'm I'll, sure yes. their books, because they've got a whole series of books, you know. Life in a Medieval Castle, Life, life in a Medieval, medieval Town. Life yes. Medieval, yeah, it's just, and they really, and, and, it's a, such a valuable series because it does break it down to the level we're breaking it down. And, and they pretty much, not that it was necessarily, I don't think it was their agenda to say, we're going to destroy the Dark Ages myth. They just simply do it. Yeah. And, and it's so well written and so clear. You think it's a kid's book. Yeah. But it's not. But it could be. But it could be. <laughs> but it could be. But, but, it's, but, you know, that's actually, you know, take note of that name, those names, Francis and Joseph Guy. Uh, G G I E S. Yep, yep, yep. The French, like uh, <laughs> Charlemagne. Uh, but yeah, any one of those titles. Life in a medieval village is a really good way to start because, you know, the medieval village was the central unit of life for that time period that we're calling the ages. <laughs> the in between. The in betweens. They were tweens. They were the tweens. That's what they were. Oh, my. Uh, and I think on that note, we will draw to a happy close, and we'll see you again. Yes. Thanks for making me feel better, kid. Oh, no problem. Have a, have a candle. Bye. <laughs> Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.